0: This last Tuesday was All Saints Day. Many of you were here to celebrate that occasion. The great triumph of all the people who used to walk the earth and now walk in the new and heavenly Jerusalem, surrounded by the angels of God. The day after that, Wednesday, November the 2nd, was the commemoration of all souls of the faithful departed, those more recently deceased who have left here but have yet to arrive there. And we pray that their journey will be brief and that they will soon see the face of God and enjoy His presence forever. And it was on Wednesday night we invited the 53 families who buried a loved one from Queens in the course of the last year to come here and to light a candle in their memory in this beautiful memorial we see in front of the statue of the Blessed Mother. And it is the hope of heaven that makes our grief bearable. It is the belief in the resurrection that frees us from the fear of death. So much so that St. Paul could say to the Thessalonians, Christians do not grieve like those who have no hope. And it is that belief in life after death that makes this life bearable, that makes the experience of death bearable, because we believe that they live again, that they will live forever, and that we will see them again when we join the ranks of those who have left the shores of this world for the shores of that great undiscovered country that we call the kingdom of God. Jesus said at the end of today's gospel, ours is not to the God of the dead, but a God of the living. In that same theme, then, this is not a church of the living and the dead, but a church of the living and the risen. That's why we keep these saints' statues and in the stained glass windows and the relics here among us, because that's our hall of fame, motivation, inspiration, aspiration, that we, like them, can overcome our sins and even death when we unite our sufferings to those of Jesus Christ. And in the gospel today, Jesus was about to make that possible. It's Holy Week. It's after Palm Sunday. He is soon to face his passion on the Passover when he goes up on Calvary to vanquish our greatest foes and fears, sin, Satan, and death on the cross. We have been following Jesus on that long journey to Jerusalem. It's more than half of Luke's gospel. It started in chapter 9, and now it is chapter 20. And in those days from Palm Sunday to the Mass of the Lord's Supper on Holy Thursday, Jesus spent his time in the temple day after day praying to God the Father, that he might be ready to fulfill the Father's will. And yet while Jesus was praying and preparing, he kept getting interrupted by disciples who wanted his prayer and blessing, but even more so by his critics who wanted to ask him tricky questions to see if they could catch him in some sort of fault or failing to further accuse him of blasphemy and treason. That's why the Sadducees have cornered him in the temple today. The Sadducees were just one of many groups that already had joined forces against Jesus here now at the end of his ministry. There were nine groups in total that hated him so much that they would break the law, break the Jewish religious law in order to conspire in his death. It was the Sadducees, the Sanhedrin, the Pharisees, the chief priests, the scribes, the elders, the scholars of the law, the Herodians, and the Romans. Groups that hated each other, but they hated Jesus more. The enemy of my enemy is my friend. And so they were one united force, looking for any excuse whatsoever to see that this man would be murdered before that Passover was over. And that is why the Sadducees asked Jesus this tricky question today about the woman who marries every man in the family, and yet they fail to have a male Aaron in heaven, whose spouse will she be? The Sadducees, they don't want Jesus to give them the truth. They don't want to become his disciples. They don't want to be converted. And Luke makes it very clear that there's no faith behind their question because they're asking about a resurrection. But Luke tells us the Sadducees didn't believe in a life after death. So there's no faith behind it. And yet they're using an example that really did come from the Jewish scriptures. In the Torah, in the book of Leviticus, there was something called a levirate marriage. Before Jesus, before the Messiah, before the resurrection, in Judaism, the only way a man believed he could live on after death is if he had a male heir to carry on the family name. There's people that still feel that way today. And thus, this situation where the man dies, his wife, the widow, has no children. The brother is obliged to take the widow into his home and try to raise up a child for his brother to carry on his brother's name, not his own. And thus, they go through the ranks of all these men. Uh, who knows what's wrong with this lady, but all seven brothers die and nobody has a child and then she dies, thus the question. But as is often the case, Jesus doesn't answer their question because he could care less about their faithless skepticism. Instead, he uses this as a chance to talk about what happens after death, what he has come to Jerusalem to do, to open heaven's gate He talks about the earthly institution of marriage compared with the heavenly state that all of us hope to enjoy. He said only in this world are people marrying and given in marriage until death or divorce do us part, as it were. But Jesus speaks to the life of the blessed. In heaven there is no marriage because all of us are totally in union with God. And that's what earthly marriage is meant to prepare us for. In the devotion, commitment, service of sacrifice, the spouses make for each other and parents for their children. That's preparing all of us to be totally focused on the love of God where we will need nothing more and we will want nothing else once we get where we are going. It was that hope of heaven that was going to give Jesus the strength to do what he came to Jerusalem to do. And it is that same hope of heaven that has strengthened martyrs since Christ and even strengthened martyrs before Christ. We see that in the first reading from the second book of Maccabees. You will only find the books of Maccabees in the Catholic Bible. In the Protestant Bibles, it's either in the Apocrypha between the Old and New Testament or it's been left out altogether. Some debates about Scripture scholarship, but these are true stories. They are historically and archaeologically proven, and we need to know about them. What is the history behind the Maccabees? It makes more sense when we consider the thousand years before the coming of Christ. 1000 B.C., there was one Israel A century later, it was split in two by the sons of Solomon in a civil war, the northern kingdom of Israel, the southern kingdom of Judah, and from that point on and until the coming of the Christ, there was only war, bloodshed, exile, foreign occupation, and division for God's chosen people. They were occupied by the Assyrians, the Babylonians, the Persians, the Macedonians, the Seleucids, the Greeks, and then the Romans. We're pausing today in the book of Maccabees at 170 B.C., And Israel and Judah were occupied by the Seleucid Empire. Today, parts of Iran and Iraq. And the Seleucid king was Antiochus Epiphanes IV, who, like the pharaohs of Egypt or the emperors of Rome, believed himself to be a living god and wanted other people to treat him like one. But he worshipped the gods of the Greek pantheon, all of them, Zeus, Apollo, uh, Athena, Poseidon, you name it. And he was determined that in his kingdom... Everyone was going to revere him as a god and everybody was going to practice all the customs of the Greeks that he admired so much. The Hebrews had to stop speaking Hebrew and learn Greek. Grown men had to cover up the mark of their circumcision. They could no longer observe Jewish rituals for the newborn children and have them circumcised. They had to abandon their Jewish faith and they had to practice all these pagan beliefs from the Greek pantheon that Antiochus Epiphanes kept introducing to them. The worst abomination. He ransacked the temple in Jerusalem. God's dwelling place among his people. And he did it to finance armaments for his soldiers so they could go invade more lands. But then he desecrated the temple further in the Holy of Holies. Oh, there's a large 50-foot tall curtain that separated the rest of the temple from the Holy of Holies where the Ark of the Covenant was. And it's where the altar of sacrifice was. And on that holy altar, King Antiochus placed a statue of Zeus breaking the first and the second commandment and expecting all the people to break those commandments along with them. Most people did because they realized that their lives were on the line, but there's always a few who will resist. Not everyone will do what earthly kings tell them to, And thus it was the Maccabees, a Hebrew word for a hammer. Mattathias, his son, Judas Maccabeus, and other brave souls refused to give in to this pagan king's cravings, and they resisted even to the point of death. Their revolt would last for 33 years. But now, as the Jewish people still celebrate Hanukkah, that comes from the time of the Maccabees. It was a festival of light when they were victorious over the Seleucid Empire and reconsecrated and rededicated their temple. But that sets the backdrop for the story in the first reading today, where this mother is forced to watch all seven of her sons have their tongues cut out, their hands cut off, their bodies bludgeoned and killed before she herself is going to be put to death. And that was the worst torture of all. They could have at least let her go first, but instead she has to watch every single son that she loved more than herself be murdered. Why? Because they wouldn't eat pork. And we say, what's the big deal? I had bacon this morning. Some of you are going to have some after this Mass. But it was going against the kosher diet. Just as they had to abandon their language, their circumcision, their culture, their language, their customs. This is a larger issue. If the king can make them eat the pork, there's nothing he can't make them do. And this woman and her sons, down to the last one, absolutely and manifestly refuse. To the point where even their captors and executors are impressed with their faithfulness to their God. And why were they this strong? Why were they able to withstand it? Because rather than honor this earthly king, who was a despot, tyrant, pagan... They already were serving the king of kings before he had even come from heaven to earth. They make reference to him. And it is the hope of the resurrection, the hope of heaven, that strengthened them to make that last full measure of devotion to their Jewish faith, believing that a greater reward was on the horizon, one that far surpassed whatever suffering or sacrifice they may make for their God. The hope of heaven, two centuries before Jesus opens heaven's gate. Therefore, once more... The hope of heaven strengthened martyrs after Christ. It strengthened the martyrs before Christ. It's been happening for all these centuries. Ten of the twelve apostles, martyrs for the faith. Twenty-five of the first thirty-one popes, martyrs for the faith. More martyrs for the faith during the twentieth century, during the previous nineteenth centuries combined. Reminding us, once more, this world is more hostile to the gospel than ever before. But all these people with their hope of heaven found something worth dying for. And once they found something for which they would give their life, they finally found something to live for. And once they believed in heaven, they no longer had to be afraid of dying. And that's the greatest common fear shared by everyone. And so, my friends, we still see that there are kings and worldly rulers like King Antiochus out there in the world today that want to force people to abandon their heritage, their customs, their culture, their religion, and their traditions, just to see what they can make us do. Not everyone will. Some will resist, even to the point until death. And it is that hope of that kingdom without end where all can be free that sustains us in this life and forever in the next.